Well, you're welcome to the platform, Reverend Danny Neighbors. First and last time there. <laughs> All right. How's everybody doing? Good. I think this happens every time I get up to preach. Um, nobody shows up. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the most important people are here, right? All right. So um, tonight um, goes along really well with uh, the, the worship that happened tonight. Um, it just, just so happened to be that way. Um, and it also happened to work out very well with the last week that I had. Um, uh, most of what I'm speaking on uh, today is going to come from Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 11, and it is astonishing how God works in your life and, and, and uses uh, certain people to speak into your life, and tonight is a night like that. Um, this message I borrowed from a, from a pastor um, from Trinity Fellowship in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Pastor Mark Driscoll. Um, we heard him preach at the men's conference, a uh, super powerful message um, about God the Father. Um, but tonight, um, I'm taking basically one sermon from a series of 13 different sermons, um, and we're just going to do this one. I don't have 13 prepared. Um, just doing this one, because I feel like this one, in a nutshell, gives us an idea of, of who we should be in God's kingdom. The title of the message tonight is, Living Kingdom Down, Not Culture Up. Living kingdom down, not culture up. So it, to me, it's always interesting when you experience another culture. Um, I've been a PTA, a physical therapist assistant, for the past five years. Um, and I've originally worked in a skilled nursing facility, so I didn't get to see a whole lot of different people, mostly just a bunch of people that were mature in age, and uh, that was it. But for the last couple of years, I've gotten to... Uh, do home health physical therapy and so this allows me to go into people's homes and I actually get to see you know, the things that go on in their home instead of just in a, in a nursing facility where there's rules and regulations. Um, so I go into these people's homes and a lot of times um, I don't know who they are until I meet them. Um, unless I've seen them before I don't know who they are and so they may have a name that seems familiar, Smith, Jones, Johnson, something normal but when I get there it's often something completely different than what I imagined. Um, so a lot of times I get, to, I get to meet people that are seem like you and I, but they're from a different culture. They're from a different part of the world. Um, I've met people from, from China, from Japan, from India, from Africa, from South America, uh, and from the United States, Canada, that have different cultural um, preferences than what I do. Um, they have different languages. They have different holidays. They have different traditions. Um, they even have different furniture um, that comes from the culture, their cultural background from where they're from. They have different food. They have different religions. I had, I had one patient uh, of mine that was from India. Um, he, was, he could speak English very little, um, but he had a tra his, his children were translators. Um, because of HIPAA, I can't tell you who it is, where they're at, anything like that. But I can tell you where they're from. Um, and so when I walked into their house, I, I, I met the, the son, and he spoke perfectly English. Um, he works for a company that we all well know around here. Can't tell you what it is. Um, but he, sp he speaks perfect English. Um, his wife speaks perfect English, works with, at the hospital at the same company I work for. But when I walked into their home, to the right was this, I don't know, it was a, a shelf. It was, it was a box on a pedestal. And it had all kinds of gems and jewelries on it. It had all kinds of gold on it. And not knowing their background, we don't get this kind of information. Not knowing their background, I asked them what that was. What is that? It looks more expensive than my cars. And it was basically, it was a miniature temple that they used to worship the Hindu gods. Um, they, were, they were Hindu, and so they, they had many gods that they worshipped, and that's what this little box was. It was full of little trinkets, little mini gods, um, money, all kinds of stuff. This is what it was full of, and to me, that was weird. To you, I'm sure that would be weird unless you've seen it, unless you've grown up around it. That would be weird. Um, and so I was curious, and I talked, to, I talked to them about it. They seemed perfect, 
perfectly normal. They seemed just like you and I when we carried a conversation. There was nothing different other than when we got to talking about religion. Other than when we got to talking about what they do during the day because they had certain times that they pray and, and all, this, all this stuff. Um, so what was normal to them was not normal to me. And in me telling them how my daily devotions go, you know, reading the Bible and praying, it was weird to them because I didn't have a certain time that I did it. I didn't have a certain um, scripture that I would read every single day. I didn't have a certain prayer that I, that I prayed every single day. Um, and that was weird to them. So what seems normal to me is not always normal to them, and vice versa. So has anybody ever experienced anything like that? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. So up here in Walmart world, it's very common for us to have multiple, multiple cultures around us. And so it's easy for us to see that sometimes. But what I want to talk to you tonight is that same experience that you, that you experience with those kind of people, it's kind of like that when we become Christians. It's kind of like that when we become Christians. Here we are, we're, we're going through life, we're doing our own thing, part of our own culture, we have our own set of assumptions, presumptions, and ideologies, and then we get saved. And everything gets turned upside down, right? Amen? Everything gets changed. We read our Bible and we say, wow, I'm not supposed to do that, I've been doing that my whole life. When we get to the point where we realize that our citizenship is not here on this earth, but our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, but our residence is in this culture on this earth. So the title of the message is Living Kingdom Down, Not Culture Up. Tonight in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11, the Bible uses terminology that we are pilgrims, that we are sojourners. We're on a road trip to ultimately get to our home, which is the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, meaning if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're saved, if you've turned from your sin, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, seek the things that are where? Above. Above. Where Christ is. Jesus came and lived on this earth and died and rose. And now he's back in heaven. I need you to know that Jesus is alive and he is seated at the right hand of God. He is alive and well. He's not dead. He didn't stay in the grave. He is alive. Set your minds. How do we think? How do we consider life? How do we perceive the world? This isn't something that comes naturally for us. This is something that requires focus, self-discipline, concentration. Something that we intentionally have to do. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Thinking ungodly things, eternal things, good things not on earthly things, carnal things, or sinful things. We should see things as Jesus does. See them as Jesus sees them. Verse 3 says, For you have died, meaning you've been born again. If you've been saved, you've been born again. The old you is now dead. It's gone. It's changed. It's transformed. And now there's a new person. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4 says, When Christ who is your life appears, meaning Jesus is coming back. He's going to take the kingdom and bring it down here to the cultures of the earth. There's going to be no more earth after Jesus comes back and takes up his, his bride. There's going to be no more, no more cultures of the earth. There's no, going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sorrows. Then you will also appear with him in glory. Now this is the end where God is done and all of his work is ultimately completed. What he's talking about is the Christian approach to culture. There's a lot we could say on this subject, but I just want to give a few brief summations of a couple concepts. When it comes to how Christians should engage with culture, there are a few different perspectives. The first perspective being the non-believer. The non-believer says, I don't know what you're talking about. God's kingdom, Jesus returning, eternal life. I don't acknowledge the kingdom of God. All I know is the cultures of the earth. Everybody agree? A, a non-Christian is not going not gonna to think that way. They're not going to think those things. Then there's the more, there's Christians, what we call the more liberal Christians. Um, now the, these Christians, they have, their, they have their own vision of culture. They have their own vision of how things should be done, um, how relationships, identity, and sexuality should be done. But to them, it's God's job to, to bless that. It's God's job to bless that and to honor that. So basically, they, just, they proofread the text, they cherry pick, and, and, and they say God is love, and God, uh, 
God serves, so if God loves us, uh, He'll serve us and, and bless our vision and our, ideolo- and our ideologies for our life. Our identity, our relationships, our sexuality, it is your job to bless our vision. That's what, that's what they believe. That's what they would believe. Then there are those who, who some might call traditional or conservative. Um, so basically, um, to these people, God doesn't help until you die. Um, so basically, you give your life to Jesus, and when you die, you go to heaven. Is that true? Yes. No? Yes? True or false? True? Yes? Okay. It is true. You give your life to Jesus, you die, you go to heaven. But what do you do before that? What do you do before you go to heaven? So let's say you're 17 today. Anybody in here 17? Man, I got two. That's that's not fun. (laughs) Okay. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. (laughs) So let's say you're 17 today and you meet Jesus. And uh, Jesus is like life insurance. Jesus really don't kick in until you kick out. Until you kick the bucket and all this kicking's done. That's when Jesus comes in. Then what happens? You don't think Jesus really has anything to do with your life. He does. He does every day. But you just go on living your life. Jesus kicks in when you die. And Jesus basically just has two jobs. He saves you from the mess you've made, and then he takes you to heaven when you die. But the kingdom of God does not begin when you die. The kingdom of God begins when you meet Jesus. Amen? So this brings us to our fourth perspective. Paul, the writer of Colossians, gives us this fourth perspective where there is the kingdom of God and there is the cultures of the earth. There is above and below, above and below. We're not to live culture up, but kingdom down. What does that mean? Basically, the world is wrong. The way the world sees things, the way the world perceives things, is wrong. They're confused. They're corrupt. The world is not as it was intended to be. And it's up to God, because He's the only one that can fix it. God is the only one that can fix this world. We must compare this culture to the kingdom of God, because we are citizens of God's kingdom, but residents of the earth. Residents of our culture. Theologians will use this term already, but not yet. God sees things in eternity, in completion, but it's not yet experienced by us. Two things I need you to know. Ultimately, the kingdom of God is coming to change all cultures. You know, when we pray, how does the Bible say that we should pray? Thy kingdom come. Come. How should we act? People in God's kingdom love, so what should we do? We should love. People in God's kingdom forgive. We should forgive. People in God's kingdom tell the truth, so we should tell the truth. In God's kingdom there is justice, so we should pursue justice. God is most important, but human life is incredibly valued, so what is the, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, then love your neighbor as yourself, right? God is most important. Human life is incredibly valued. Can I just say this? If you, if you belong to Jesus, you will be perfect. Everybody agree? At one point, you will be perfect. Not here, <laughs> but there. You'll be perfect, right? That's the, that's, that's the hope. That's what we're, that's what we're shooting for. Um, it's eternity with Jesus. How many have sat down and actually thought about what you're going to be like when you get to heaven? You'll have a perfect body. so <laughs> Unless God has a funny sense of humor. That's probably true. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you really sat down and, and thought about what you're going to be like when you get to heaven? Not just physically, but emotionally. Um, uh, cognitively. It's interesting if you really think about it, if you, if you look at what God's Word says. But I am convinced that each of us will continue to have our personality. I'm convinced that we're going to be quirky, we're going to be weird still, but we'll be perfect. That quirkiness and that weirdness will be perfection. 
Because I, I truly believe that God had given us all our own level of weirdness, um, our own level of, of joy, our own level of fun, our own level of comedy, um, our own level of seriousness. Um, but I think because of the sin in this world, we are not, we are not perfect. We are not exactly who we're going to be um, in those areas. When we get to heaven, we're going to be fully healed up from all of our hurts, fully reconciled with fellow Christians. Obviously, non-Christians won't be there. Fully settled in your mind who God is and His affection for you. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more shame. So if we could, I'd like for us to try to think of ourselves in that final state because that is the ultimate goal of what God is working on us for each and every day. We're to try to get to that point. Because who are we trying to be like? Trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to be like Jesus. Because Jesus came to this earth and he lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. And we are striving every day to be more and more like Jesus. Who you are today is not yet the real true you. It's you with sin. It's you with pain. It's you with regret. When God is done with you, that will be the true and eternal you. In a few million years, we're probably going to look back on this life and it's going to feel like it's a really short time. But who you are is who God has for you forever. I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to look back on all your faults, failures, and flaws. We need to acknowledge those. But I don't want you to be discouraged about where you are today. But hopeful and encouraged that he who began a work in you is faithful to complete it. God that, God that loves you will keep on loving you. God that has changed you will keep on changing you into that perfect you forever. And who can agree that we're not there yet? I'm not. <laughs> okay, as long as we're on the same page. Those that are married, don't do this, by the way, um, would say, I can't wait till I'm married to that person. Don't say that. Um, but wouldn't that be nice? You're married to that person, they're perfect. <laughs> um, but Paul gets us thinking about what the kingdom is like and who we're going to be in the kingdom. As a citizen of God, God's kingdom today, we want to live in the light of the culture of the kingdom and not the culture of the earth. I want to start to live like the person I am going to be eternally, not the person I used to be. How we see ourselves and conduct ourselves relationally, sexually, and regarding our identity. So moving ahead in the scripture, Paul um, gets into three particular issues. Sex in God's kingdom. I don't want to talk about that, but it's in the scripture, so you got to, right? Um, how are we conduct ourselves when it comes to the issue of intimacy? Now, how many would agree that our culture has, is a little confused? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little confused. I, I, it doesn't matter what your political view is. Um, we can all agree that there's a problem. We might disagree on what the problem is. Um, Christians, non-Christians, everyone. But we all know that there is a problem. Um, when you, but when you don't understand who made you, when you don't understand who you will give an account to, and when you don't understand who you will be eternally, you don't know how to conduct yourself on the earth. And the first and most painful place is in your sexuality. Colossians 3, 5 through 7 says, Put to what? Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? What is down here? What is cultural? What is lesser than? What is base? What is animalistic? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, what's coming? The wrath of God is coming. We're going to come back to that part. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. So what Paul's saying here, here is, you know what, before you became a citizen of the kingdom, before you met Jesus and had a vision of what you would be in the end, there's just this parade in, in, the, in human history. We're all perverted, we're all drunk, intolerant, confused, depressed, naked, and celebrating. We have parades. So if we're filthy, we're all filthy together, and we feel less filthy, basically. You compare yourself to somebody else, you say, I'm not as bad as that, so therefore I'm better, right? Is that what we do? And... 
that's just how it is. That's just how the, the culture of the earth is. That's how we do life. You know, it, if you put milk outside right now, today, it would go bad. That's just how it is. When you meet Jesus, this part of you changes. Understand this, apart from the kingdom of God, when it comes to issues of intimacy, he has this little list. Sexual immorality. In the Greek, this is the word, the same word that we get for the word pornography. This is all kinds of sexual sins. This is infidelity, um, lusting, impurity, all kinds of sexual sins. Impurity. This is anything that is dirty or gross. Have you ever done anything or said anything that you said, that was dirty, that was gross? Passion. We learned a couple weeks ago that passion is a good thing. But in this case, this passion is out of control desire that is pointed in the wrong direction. You can be passionate about something and be wrong. Evil desires. These are longings, cravings, fantasies, addictions, compulsions that are more animalistic and less godly. Basically, this is you on your worst day, in your worst moment. Covetousness. This is wanting something that isn't yours. I wish I had your spouse. I wish I had their body. I wish I had their experience. They got to do X, Y, Z. I wish I could do that. Let's just be honest. A lot of marketing today, what's on the Internet, what we see every day when we drive down the road, is, is just to open our eyes to the things that other people are doing to get you to covet what they have or what they do. All right? You see somebody on TV. They're out in the tropics. They're frolicking on the beach. What do you think? I want to do that. I want to go there. Um, ladies, you see a magazine. Most of the ladies in magazines aren't ugly. You want to be. You want to be that way. You want to look that way. Guys, you see a guy muscle, all kinds of muscles. You want to be that way. You see him have a nice rifle, a nice gun. You want that gun. That's the whole purpose, for you to want what they have. The last thing that Paul lists here is idolatry. We tend not to see idolatry in our cultures, um, but we do see it in others. Hence the Hindu box that I was talking about earlier. Um, another example is, has anybody went and eat Chinese lately? Am I the only one that ate Chinese lately? At the Chinese restaurant. Okay. Well, I will just tell you, they have things sitting in their, in their foyer when you walk in at the Lens Garden of this fat guy named Buddha. Um, and if you're ever feeling like you're not doing so well in that area, just go look at Buddha. You'll feel great later. Um, the dude was fat. Um, but basically, they give money to Buddha and they expect him to bless him. Um, that is an idol. Um, that's, that's what it is. Um, but seriously, uh, can anybody think of any other kind of idols that we have? Anybody at all? Say, yeah. Zeus? You worship Zeus? Okay. All right. You're right in the fact that they, they used to worship Zeus. Some people may still worship Zeus. Um, but in our culture, in, in, in northwest Arkansas, what is an idol? Sure, sure. Sports, yeah. Yeah. The Razorbacks, yeah. What did you say? Krispy Kreme? Okay. True. <laughs> Red Robin, okay. So food. Food, right? Entertainment. Um, football, sports, um, all kinds of things. Okay. Well, I am convinced that in this culture, those kind of things we don't, we, we miss too often. Um, idols can be anything from how we see gender how we see marriage, how we see sexuality, how we see family, how we see recreation, how we see holiday. Those things we just, we just see. Um, we just do. We just go do them and we don't think twice about it. Um, and they, consumed a lot of, they consume a lot of our life. Mark Driscoll, who, who did this sermon previously, um, tells a story about some years ago when he went on a mission trip to India. Um, he got off the plane and was out in the middle of nowhere and there's this dude that's behind an ox. Uh, with a plow. Still happens. We read about it in the Bible and we're like, that, 
That's weird. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, yoke on an ox, you know, we have to get that explained to us. But in this, where he was at, this was still happening. So with that scripture, he would, they would know exactly what they're talking about. But there was this dude behind an ox with a plow. And Mark goes on to tell that he was walking along this rural road out in the middle of nowhere, going to preach under a thatched hut at a minister's conference using a translator. And ever so often, he sees these little shrines with little gods that, that are being worshipped. Um, these people, they're, they're leaving a little bit of money, some fruit, and there's blood and chicken feathers everywhere because somebody just made a sacrifice murdering a chicken to the local fertility god. Um, and if you're like me, you're, you would think, man, these people are for real need Jesus, right? Amen? But finally he arrives at the pastor's conference, and one of the pastor's wives asks him how he's liking India, and Mark responds, as most of us would, um, yeah, it's different. It's definitely different. Pastor Mark goes on to ask the, ask the, the other pastor's wife um, if she'd ever been to the States and to the Americas, and she said yes, but she would never come back again. When asked why, she said she couldn't stomach all the idolatry. On her trip to the States, she saw an NFL football game where people were, in her mind, worshiping athletes. The stadium was the largest temple she'd ever seen, and the people were dressing up like chickens, roosters, seahawks, and eagles. <laughs> All right, to us, that's normal. To us, that is just, that's our team. We're going to root for our team, and that's how, that's how it is. Um, for us, it's entertainment. For us, it's culture. For us, it's how we do life. Until we have a cross-cultural experience, and then we realize we can see their idols, but they can see our idols. Um, I... If you, if you get an avid football fan, they might have a problem with what I'm saying um, because football is so ingrained into their DNA. It's ingrained in who they are. When you ask them, um, when you have a conversation with them, what's brought up? Football, Razorbacks, Woo Pick Suey, Dallas Cowboys, America's team, right? That's, the, that's what's ingrained in their DNA. That's who they are. That's who they relate themselves to. But let's look at what idolatry is. Basically, idolatry is worshiping anyone or anything other than God. Whatever you spend most of your time doing is what, is, is what you idolize. Romans tells us that they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator God who was forever praised. Amen. Ultimately, God is creator. Everything else is created. We are to worship creator, enjoins to in creation, and invert, an inversion happens where something or someone becomes like God to us. It becomes the center of our life, and it establishes our identity. We just got through singing a song tonight about Jesus is the center. Is that something we truly believe? Is that something that He truly is? For some, just their ability to do whatever they want, when they want, becomes a godlike commitment. That's why they evangelize others to join them and have a zealotry about it. Most pagan religions, as part of their action, is explicit, illicit activity. When we see life on earth, we see people doing things that are pleasurable. God sees things as sacred things, worshipful things, and idolatry things, idolatrous things. That's why in Romans, it tells us in chapter 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your act of spiritual worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Whatever you offer your body to, that is your act of worship. Whatever you spend most of your time doing is what you worship. What Paul has done is taken our minds from the culture of the earth, things that are normal for us to do. We spend 80 hours at our job. We forget to pray. We forget to read our Bible. We forget to um, devotions. We forget to minister. We forget to witness. We forget to testify. That becomes our idol. That becomes our God. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. But Paul has taken us out of our minds from the culture of the earth and pulled us into the kingdom of heaven. Would everybody agree with me today if I said that everything we just talked about basically describes America? Would you agree with me? So what's the answer to these problems? Paul gives us this encouragement. Put to death. Put to death. Don't hide your, your sin. Don't try to, to tame your sin. Don't, 
Don't try to cover it up. But Paul says to put to death your sin. Jesus died for your sins so you could put your sins to death. We often talk about coming to the altar and leaving our problems, leaving our, our trials at the altar and allowing God to take, take them. And it's the same with our sins. We have this sin that we can't get rid of and we come to the altar and we say, God, this is yours. Take it. I don't want it anymore. And then we, we get up, we just pick it up and put it behind our back and walk off to our seat. And then the next week we're back doing the exact same thing over and over again. It, it, it's a never-ending cycle. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I'm guilty of it. Why do we do that? Because sin feels good. What we're, that sin that we can't let go of, it feels good. But we've got to put it to death. Because here's just a little motivation for you. The wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. It's not here yet, but the wrath of God is coming. I heard a story of some people who were playing on a train track. Um, until the train came, there was no problem. There wasn't a problem. They were just playing, having a good time. Um, some people are just like, everything's fine. I'm, I'm doing fine. I've been here a while. I've been playing on these tracks. There's no train coming. Look, the grass is growing up. There's no train coming. But the train is coming. Eventually, the train will come. You've got to get off the tracks. The world doesn't believe God is going to do anything. You see, God is not negligent. God is patient. We see people do all kinds of tra tragic things, all kinds of terrible things, and we're like, God, where are you at in this? Where are you at? God's not negligent. He sees it. He knows what's going on. God is patient. We've all sinned against Him. We've all committed cosmic treason, if you will. And because God is holy, we cannot be with Him as such. We cannot be with Him with sin in our life. We've got to look at it from, from the offended party, not from the guilty party. So God sent His Son Jesus Christ to come and live among us without any sin. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Jesus went to the cross and paid the price that we should have paid. And on the cross, the wrath of the Father is poured out on the Son. Jesus cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God. So if you belong to Jesus, the wrath of God is diverted away. Praise God. The Bible uses the word propitiated. The wrath of God is diverted away and is directed towards Jesus. The whole purpose of the cross. He takes our sins upon Himself, though He didn't sin at all. He forgives us and allows us to have eternal life. It's like, it's like if you stole $10,000 and uh, it's your day in court and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is there with you and the court says, I need that $10,000. Jesus takes the money out of his wallet. It's got a cross on it. He says, here's your $10,000. God does that for us at the cross. And he doesn't ask for anything in return. What about those who never receive Christ? Well, the wrath of God remains on them. Ultimately, there will be a day of judgment, and the Bible clearly states that there will be an everlasting hell for those who do not receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. At the end of Isaiah, it says that the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. You know how long forever and ever is? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. That's right. Um... Daniel 12.2 says, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they will rise to everlasting life or everlasting death. Everyone's going to live forever. It's just where that's, that's not known yet. So God has, God has two kinds of wrath. Okay, God has passive wrath. He has active wrath. Passive wrath is when God lets you go and allows you to do whatever you want to do until the act, God's active wrath stops you judges you, and has a consequence for you. Romans 2.5 says, Because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We can scream tolerance. We can scream diversity. We can scream, I get to define who I am. But God says, only for a little while. Ultimately, I am sending back my son, 
And there will be a judgment for the living and the dead. There will be eternal consequence. There will be eternal wrath. It's really important to know what you're saved from. I mean, we all, we all go around saying, I'm grateful um, that Jesus saved me. I'm grateful that Jesus saved me. What did he save you from? What did he save you from? You know, I really love Jesus. I'm, I'm really grateful I'm not going to hell. I'm really grateful I don't have to sleep with a helmet on and one, one, with one eye open. I'm really grateful for that. What are we grateful for? Because the wrath of God is taken off of us if we are Christians at the cross of Jesus. But the passive wrath of God is when God lets you do what you want until the act of wrath shows up to deal with you. I'll give you an analogy. Let's say you live in a house with a very small gas leak. Think to yourself, mm, no big deal, it's just a little gas, right? It's just a little gas, no big deal. Um, I've lived in this house for a long time, and uh, nothing, nothing's happened. It's not going to happen. It's just a little gas. I'm fine. All you're doing is storing up gas for the day of explosion, flame, fire. Eventually, the match will be lit and judgment will come. Everyone living apart from Jesus Christ is living that way. Amen? You're not getting away with anything. You're storing up everything. It feels like you're getting away with it until the match is struck and fire begins and ultimately judgment is taken upon you. We take ourselves way too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. I mean, we see all the time people picketing and, and writing about things that, that Christians are doing, that churches are doing. Um, in fact, there's, there's parades about it. Um, have you ever seen a group of people get together to protest themselves? <laughs> We're nasty. We need help. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> what Paul is saying is, what you're doing now, are you going to be doing it in the kingdom of God? Well, what will heaven be like when it's all said and done? We'll know what we won't be. We'll know what won't be in heaven. So why are we still doing those things now? We're going to have to stop eventually, so why not stop now? Life would be so, so much easier if we'd stop those things, right? You say, well, we aren't going to be watching that in heaven. I've heard that before. I've said that before. And still watched it. Stop watching that. You're not going to be doing this in heaven. Stop doing that. You're not going to be doing this, that in heaven. Stop doing that. You're going to stop forever, so might as well start now. Might as well start today. This is actually a good thing for you. Uh, most of the world is going to say, there you go again. Do what God says or he's going to set you on fire. Yeah, great. We hear this all the time. Got to be running scared like Scooby-Doo. But that's not the purpose. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. So that's not the purpose of this. I mean, hell is hot, forever is a long time, and we should take that into consideration when we make our decisions, but that's not the purpose of this. The Bible says it is full of good news, and I believe that this is good news as well. When God tells you not to do something, it's because it's bad for you. Now, we don't believe this, but how many parents raise their children, you tell them something to do, and it's for their good, right? It's not to harm them, it's for their good. Amen? The kids are, they don't listen. They don't listen. You know, they're thinking, oh, you're just domineering. A lot of rules. Trying to keep me from lighting off fireworks in my bedroom at 3 a.m. while I'm drinking Mountain Dew. Any kid ever done that? Okay. Don't raise your hand. If you're still a kid. <laughs> that, but that's what kids would do. They would do whatever they want to do when they want to do it and how they want to do it. But parents, if they're good parents, give them rules. They give them guidelines. To, to save them, to help them from hurting themselves. God is the same way. God's a father like that. He doesn't set rules so that, you know, he can take your joy, he can take your fun away. He sets rules to keep you from harming yourself. So what seems to be the most important thing in, on earth? What, what sells? Sexuality. Sexuality sells. Sex sells, right? But 
Thank goodness that's not, that's not God's view. That's not God's view of our world. If you listen to the news, if you read the paper, assuming they still print those, um, that's, that's what you see. That's what you read about. Um, I've not read a paper since I was 10, maybe. Um, but that's not God's view. That's not God's view at all. In fact, God came to earth. He was a virgin. Born of a virgin. Until he was 30. Then he went into public ministry. Still a virgin. Jesus died. A virgin. And he rose again and ascended into heaven as a virgin. He's coming back as a virgin. And we can all agree that Jesus is a pretty good guy, right? Right? So... If Jesus being full human, living a full human life without any sexual experience, including that which is sinful, why is it so important today? So if we're going to take the, the king and take the kingdom and we make that our standard for normal, which as Christians, that's what we do, right? That's what the Bible's for. That's why we read the stories about Jesus' life. That's why we read the stories. Uh, we read the letters from Paul to the, to the churches. We, we, we read the Bible. That's what, that's what we do it for. We need to understand that self-control is a good thing. Singleness isn't secondary, although marriage is to be honored by all. And ultimately, if God tells us not to do something, that it's for our good. Chastity before marriage. If you don't know what that word means, you can Google it. It's important. Fidelity in marriage. That is the kingdom vision for sexuality. Chastity before marriage and fidelity in marriage. Anything besides that is earthly and we put to death when Jesus comes back. What's interesting is, I'll tell you why it's good news. Because if you give the scientists enough time, um, eventually they're going to catch up to the scriptures. Scriptures were written thousands of years ago, but science is finally catching up to them. So biopsychologists and those in the field of brain study of addiction treatments um, have come to the realization that chastity before marriage and fidelity in marriage actually safeguards people and it's for their good. Thank goodness. I mean, it took 2,000 years, but we got there, right? When someone has an intimate experience released in the brain, it's something called an opiate. It affects the same segment center of the brain as heroin. Has anyone ever seen anybody on heroin? methamphetamines, anything like that. If you try it, you're, you're hooked on it, right? And they'll do anything to get it. It affects certain areas of the brain that cause pleasure that ultimately you become addicted to it, you become bonded to it, you desire it, you just have to have it. You, 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 you can't stop doing it on your own. Intimate experiences do the same thing. So here's what, here's what that means. The purpose is to bond you to the thing that gives you the experience. Has everyone, anyone ever used super glue and got their fingers stuck together? Just, not just me? Okay. That, that's, what, that's what sex is like. You bond yourself together with that super glue, and your fingers are so stuck together you can't get them apart. But when you finally do, you got missing skin. Okay? It was bonded to your other finger, and so it's gone. It's pulled apart. The Bible says that a man and a woman shall be one flesh. This experience bonds them together. Married people, single people, kids, don't answer this question, but married people, you can answer this question. Is this a good thing? Sex bonds you to your partner. Is this a good thing? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a bonding agent and brings a man and woman into one. They long for each other. They love each other. They're into each other. What happens if we go around bonding ourselves to lots of different people or different things and have to rip ourselves apart over and over and over again? Some of you may experience that, and so you know it's, it's, it's hurtful, it's painful. But there is good news because God can, can and He will and He wants to heal you. When God tells you not to do something, it's not because He's trying to kill your joy. It's for your good. We must understand the Father's heart, the Father heart of God, which is to protect God's children from harm, and know that it is for our good. The next topic is relationships in Jesus' kingdom, Colossians three verses eight through ten. But now you must put them all away, and he gives this little list: anger, 
wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And nowadays, from your fingers. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. What he is saying is, don't be like you. Be like Jesus. Don't get up every day and look in the mirror and say, i got to be true to you. Get up in the morning, look up to heaven and say, i got to be true to you. Because that's ultimately what matters. Now, this, this, these are things that we see on, on, in, in most relationships on this earth. Anger. What's anger? It's, a, it's, it's basically being annoyed, frustrated, agitated, um, wrath. Now you can see that anger. You know, it, it's a, you know, the person with the crazy eyes. You know, some of you are married to the crazy eyes. You see it? Oh, she's, she's mad. There's the crazy eyes, right? Malice. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore, so I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something about it. That's malice. Slander. Now I'm going to attack your character. You blank. You never blank. You always blank. We do that in my house. Has anyone else ever done that in their house? Oh, okay. I'm the only one. All right. That's okay. That's okay. I'll work on it. I'm guilty of it. So, you know, we all have something to work on here, right? Obscene talk. This is where we speak ill of others. We gossip. This is where we invite others in who aren't part of the solution, which means we are making them part of the problem. Lying. This is when you make stuff up. You rewrite history. You're like, that wasn't really what happened, but that was my spin on it. It's lying. How many would say this pretty much describes our entire culture right now? Let me put it this way. Politically, socially, morally, spiritually, put out any issue and just watch this happen. Fire up the carnival music, pop the popcorn, sit back, relax, and watch it happen. These things are going to happen. You could just think this is just how we do things. They attack us, we attack them. They lie, we lie. They stab us, we stab them. Making yourself feel better like, like a little kid. They did it first, right? So I'm doing it back retaliation that's just the way that we do things but that's the stuff that needs to get put away it needs to be put to death that's the stuff from below and not above true or false when we get to the kingdom of god we aren't going to do relationships right there like that right amen amen we're on the same page okay how many lives are we going to tell when we get to heaven goose egg how many people are you going to gossip about in heaven zero how many people are you just going to be bitter, seething, plotting to harm in heaven? Hopefully none here. Do you know where your citizenship is? If you're saved, do you know what we should live like? Do you know where our citizenship is? Do you know what we should try to emulate? It's in heaven. Our residence is here, but our citizenship is in heaven. You need to stay loyal to the things of the kingdom and make sure you don't get stuck into the things of this culture down here. This is one of the ways we witness and try to do ministry. We try to be, by the grace of God, to, we try to, by the grace of God, to do and say and try and treat people the way that God treats us. I'm not going to treat you like you treat me. I'm going to treat you like God treats me. Ultimately, I come as an ambassador of the kingdom and we've come to tell you about my great king and his great kingdom. That's what we do. That's what we do making disciples. That's what we do um, to reach the lost. We tell them about God. We tell them about God's kingdom, the love of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross and how it's going to change their life. What he's talking about here is about the old self. The things that we used to do. But he goes on to talk about your new self. Your old self is completely driven by emotion. Your new self adds a will. Emotions are like an engine in a car. Combustible, powerful. But an engine without a steering wheel is dangerous. Right? Amen? Anybody been driving down the road and you lose your steering? 
Let's just imagine. Let's imagine. Let's imagine like you're driving down down the freeway. Let's emotional highway. Interstate 49. It's emotional because all the tra the traffic and construction. I get emotional when I'm driving. Um, but you're driving down the highway at a high rate of speed and you lose steering in your car. It's dangerous. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, before we become Christians, that is how we act. That is how we react. Plainly by our emotions. And that is the old self. When we become Christians, we're not to act that way anymore. How many of you have said or done anything and your excuse is your emotions? Well, I got angry. We know. We can see that. Well, I was hurt. We could tell. You said that. You said you hurt me. Obviously, we knew that you were hurt. Emotions are strong drivers in our life. They can, in fact, be a good thing. But with the old self, the emotions are what guide us. The emotions are what drive us. And the emotions are what make us dangerous. But after we meet Christ, we are given the will to be able to direct those emotions, put them in the right place. And emotions, you can, you can substitute passion in the, same, in the same way. Before we knew Jesus, before we were saved, we were passionate about things, but we were passionate about the wrong things. When we learn who we are in Jesus, we realize that our passions should be directed towards things of the kingdom and not things of this earth. Where before it is your emotions that drive you, now it is your will holding the steering wheel saying, okay, this is what I'm feeling, but in the kingdom, how am I going to respond? In the kingdom, what will I say? And in the kingdom, what will I do? Not about how I'm feeling, but what in the kingdom, what should I do? How did Jesus treat me when I did something like that to him? Because the truth is, we do it to somebody else, we've done it to Jesus. Whatever we do to somebody else, we've done to Jesus. And whatever somebody else has done to you, we've probably done the same thing to Jesus. So how did Jesus react when we did that? We're still driven by our passions, but they're directed by our identity in the kingdom of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Here's what you need to know. When you become a Christian, you put off the old self and put on the new self. It's like changing your clothes. So when we change clothes, we notice that something has ended and something else has begun. So it's like when you got up this morning, you were wearing your PJs, and thank you for not wearing them here. You changed your clothes, right? Um, if you join a sports team, what do you get? You get a uniform. You change your clothes. You put on the uniform. You now have a different allegiance. You have a different role. You have a different identity, different responsibilities because you're on that team. Um, when you graduate, um, you put on a silly flat hat, and they give you a dress to wear, and you prance around on stage, and, and you act like you're comfortable um, because you're, be, you're ending your high school career, and you're moving on with life. Um, when you ladies get married, you get a wedding dress. This shows a transition in your life. Um, if you join the military, if you join the police department, the fire department, um, you, you get a uniform. And when you put on that uniform, you are now part of that group. And just like Christianity, every day we wake up, we've got to put on the uniform of God. Um, we, we hear about, we read about putting on the full armor of God. And that's something that we have to put on every single day. It's not something we wake up wearing. It's something that we have to put on. Paul says we have to die to ourselves daily. And as a result, we put on a new identity. We put off the things that are earthly and put on the things that are heavenly. So that we can become more and more like Jesus. The true you, the real you, the eternal you, is the one that we are trying to become. Let's look at Lazarus. Lazarus died, um, and we read that following the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Lazarus being a good friend of Jesus. Jesus goes to the tomb, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. So Lazarus got out of his grave, and he's alive. But what's he still wearing? Still wearing his grave clothes. So if you look at him, 
you would think that was the same old Lazarus, right? The King James Version says that he stinketh. The same old stinking Lazarus right there. But underneath, something miraculous, something supernatural, something extraordinary has happened. And he was made alive. And that is the same way we are. We have to take off those grave clothes when we, when we, when we come to know Jesus. Because, G, because on the inside was a transformation, was a supernatural change inside of us. And we are new. We always strive to be like Jesus and eventually we will be with Jesus forever. Sometimes we just need to take off the barrel of wrappings to realize it. That's the way I used to think. I don't think that way anymore. That's the way I used to do things. I don't do things that way anymore. You'd say I'm putting all that off as I take the old grave clothes off and allow the Holy Spirit to change me and my identity. Because once you know who you are, you know what to do. And that's going to be his last point in verse 11. Colossians 3, verse, verses 11, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. What he's talking about here is where we go and get our identity and who we are determines what we do. Which just proves that we need to know who our who we are and what our identity is. Because if without that we don't we don't know what to do. Your identity is in Christ, your hope is in Christ. Your eternity is in Christ. Your joy is in Christ. And your citizenship is in Christ. When we get our identity from up there and not down here, that's when Jesus becomes the sinner. We just sang about it. Jesus be the sinner. But we have to get our focus off of things down here and on things up there. If we do that, what happens is we can look at ourselves with humility and say, you know what? I've got problems. I'm not like God. I've got problems. And God... I need you to help me. I need you to change me. Whatever it is. If you're part of a group of people, whatever that group is, we understand that God needs to fix. God needs to change that group. We're not like Jesus. We're not like the kingdom. And we need help. As Jesus is the center and people in groups are invited around him, they start to see how they need to change and how their group needs to change. And this leads to humility. I've done said things wrong. It leads to empathy. I understand how you, you messed up. We messed up too. And ultimately it creates a center where the black and the white, the Democrat and the Republican, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the urban, suburban, the rural, can all get closer together. Because you're not the center anymore. They're not the center anymore. But Jesus is. And that's the thing that we all have in common. As I close, can you come to the piano? Ultimately, that is the true purpose of the church. The church is supposed to be the beginning point of the kingdom. The church, not the building, the people in the church. We are supposed to be the beginning point of the kingdom where everyone is invited to have Jesus change them and for them to see in which the way they are thinking and acting sexually, relationally, and in regards to identity in a way that is earthly and not heavenly temporary and not eternity in a way that is how we are we were and not as how we will be in eternity if you don't know jesus the whole point is this we all have a king and you just need a new one the true one for those of us who belong to the lord jesus we are citizens of a different kingdom which means we do sexuality different relationships different because ultimately we see our identity different it's not down here, but it's up there. The Bible says, May you be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit and the understanding of who you are in God's kingdom. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here, you 
you say, I, I, you know, I, I come and I hear these, I hear people talk and I, you know, I thought I, I thought I wanted to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. But it was, it was kind of a game. It's, it, it wasn't something I really thought was something I needed to do. I, I don't want to, I don't want to move on without giving that opportunity for you to open up your heart and allow Jesus to come in. For those of you that are wondering, what am I supposed to do for God? I mean, I hear people all the time that have, have callings on their life. You know, they, they say that God's called them to do this, they say that God's called them to do that, but, you know, I've prayed and I've prayed and I don't know. I don't know what God wants me to do. First and foremost, we've got to find out what who you are in Christ. We have to find our identity in Christ. And so if that's you, tonight I want, as we're closing, tonight I want you to come up to the altars or, or make an altar where you're at. And I want you to see God and find out who you are in Christ. Because there is a there is a specific part of the body of Christ that you and only you can feel. There is a specific part that nobody in this world could feel except for you. And God has a plan. He has intentions for you. And He wants to place you there. Lastly, if you're having any troubles in any of these areas, um, anything we talked about today, I want to invite you to these altars. I want you to place them, place these sins, place these problems, place whatever it is at these altars. But when you get up, I want you to leave it. You say, how do you do that? You go and you do it no more. It's an intentional thing. It's not going to be easy. It's something that you're not going to want to do because of your flesh. But it's something that when you come down here, you leave it and you don't pick it back up. It's that thing that is keeping your relationship with God at a stalemate. It's keeping it from growing. It's that thing that, that's on your mind that you try to put away but continually comes back. Whatever it is, tonight I want you to, to walk away free. I want you to walk away with victory. Because ultimately that's what we get with Jesus. We get victory from anything that we face. Greater is He who is in me than He is in me. You guys can go ahead and come. and and Danny did a great job tonight just really bringing the word and, and confronting what the devil would like us to skim over and breeze over and not talk about so it's always good to be challenged in that way and let the Holy Spirit use the word of God to pierce through uh, the barriers in our lives amen amen well, I love y'all and um, I isn't this great that we have young men, I'm not that much older than them, but I say young men, these good young men that are coming up in our church, bringing the word of God. It's been a big help to me, you know, through this, but beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm not thankful just for the break to be able to take care of other stuff. I'm thankful that God is calling up people. I pray he calls up more. Um, I'd love to be seeing people going on the mission field from our church and uh, going far beyond what we'd ever imagined. Amen. All right. Well, let's just dismiss one more time in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. That, God, we don't have to find our hope and our trust, or my conversation before the service, our faith and our trust in 
earthly things, a president, a government. Lord, we're thankful that you give us structure, you give us in this nation a place where we can worship freely, but we're thankful more that we're just passing through, that we're aliens passing through. But God, we're not just biding our time as we're passing through, but God, you need to sharpen us and, and prepare us that God, there are those who, who live without hope, that, Lord, those neighbors and those people in the workplace, those all around us, Lord, we, we can't just sit here and soak up your presence and, and not want to share it. There are folks that they need a relationship with you, but at the very least, God, for them to be able to walk into this place and to feel your presence, to be introduced maybe for the first time to what the presence of the one and only God feels like. Lord, with the challenge you've given us through the word tonight, I also pray that, God, you'd challenge us to continue to reach out to those around us, that, God, we would love and care enough to invite them into our lives, not just our church, but into our lives, that we may let them see you at work in us. We pray against the lies of the devil that would try to discourage us and tell us that we're not worthy and that nobody wants to see our life. God, we are thankful for this place of worship. We are thankful for the future that you hold for us. And Jesus, we trade it all for you to just come back tonight. If it wasn't for those who still haven't heard or still haven't made that decision to follow you, God, we pray that you give us every second available, Lord, to reach them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. Have a great evening, and we will see you Sunday.